Wiesław Bixinski, the podcast, part three, paintings and computer-generated works. Bixinski's work as a painter is frequently associated in a fairly facile manner with surrealism. He himself said many a time that he was enthusiastic about surrealism. But that does not mean that he was deeply committed to the ideology of this interwar movement or its subsequent embodiments. Only a couple of his drawings and just one painting may be seen as an idiosyncratic dialogue with surrealism. One of his undated paintings of a disintegrating figure may certainly call to mind some of Salvador Dali's works. Although its essence is grounded in the philosophy of an artist who envisaged the world as subject to continuous erosion. His landscape drawings of the early 60s are charged with the atmosphere of pre-war surrealism, but they were only a transient episode, perhaps a one-day stand, but not continued. The fantastic period is usually associated with surrealism, but the association is quite superficial. The only thing they had in common was the application of the subconscious, and sometimes, though rarely, dreams. However, Bixinski was not a surrealist, although there was a lot that linked him with that way of thinking. On the other hand, he was an out-and-out -out expressionist. He did not want to yell by violent, contrasting blots of color, thick line drawings, smudged paint, dense, untidy material, or by painterliness itself. What he wanted was to build up the atmosphere that lay dreaming within him by means of light and props. Maybe the trashiness of those props was deliberate. It drew him away from the world's agreeableness, from its sensual pleasures, although he was not insensitive to the beauty of nature, nor to human beauty. In his 1969 painting, a half-nude figure in a stripper's panties and lacerated with scars and stitches stands in a coquettish pose. Actually, we cannot identify the sex of this live, though apparently cadaverous figure. Beksinski teases our habits and sense of aesthetics. When we see this sort of composition, we expect a nice photo of a disrobed girl. Instead, we get something that shocks us. Pop art was to be easy, pleasant, and available to the masses. Andy Warhol, its foremost representative in America, was Bixinski's contemporary. Moreover, Warhol's parents came from a small village on the Slovak side of the mountains, not far from Sanok. Perhaps when they were traveling north to the coast and thence emigrating to America, in the environs of Sanok Station, they might have bumped into Bixinski's parents. Who knows? In 1960, Bixinski received a Guggenheim scholarship to New York. We imagined what might have happened if he had taken the opportunity. Would we have had Bixinski turning into a pop artist? 
a rhetorical question, but a weird dialogue with pop art or simply with mass culture, moreover in a communist version, is yet another aspect of Bixinski's art that may be discerned in various periods of his work. The fantastic period is often referred to Bixinski's work from the late 60s to the early 80s. The predominant type of work in this period was landscapes, which he used to describe as metaphysical. This was where his skill of creating space, following the example of traditional art, and lodging figures, objects, and architecture in it was formulated. The chief orchestrator of these representations was the light in the picture, and the more and more delicate chiaroscuro was its instrument. This was the period, just over a decade long, that brought him fame and elicited such extreme critical reactions to his painting. Powerless in the face of the discrepancy between his own objectives and the response, both hostile and enthusiastic, his recipients gave him, he endeavored to find his place, as if in defiance of the criteria applied in the appraisal of his painting. What recipients discerned most readily was connected with the literal reception of the objects and figures he portrayed. He was accused of cruelty, the total mummification of the world, as one critic wrote, or necrophilia, according to others. But Bixinski never said that the world of his art was pretty. He was externalizing the emotional states he carried in himself. The horror of existence, the fear of uncertainty, the lack of faith that life has a sense, that it's not a deception, fear of old age and death. All this accompanied him for the greater part of his life and surfaced in his art. Sometimes an animal appears in the composition of Bixinski's pictures next to a human. We observe this in his early drawings, in paintings from the fantastic period, and in works from his last two decades, both the painting and computer work. Usually the introduction of an animal only heightens the aggressiveness, as if what we had before us was a sinister beast, assailing birds, dogs with wide open jaws, and in his early work, bulls or cows. All of this is created as variations, as a precedent for the artist to accomplish his innermost postulate, to give us a climate, but not a message, simply to make a fine painting. Sculpted heads, or entire figures, recur many times over towards the end of his life. One of these works from his final period is a painting made in 2003 and labeled P6. In an empty space, we see a human figure, as if made out of a bent metal sheet. It's reclining, supporting itself heavily on its arms, and summoning the last dregs of its strength to stand up. The drama of this image, its spatial and sculptural character, reminds us of his work from the turn of the 50s and 60s. It's like a sculpture in a painting. Variations on the human figure are present in all the periods of Bixinski's work. But in the fantastic period, they're usually components of a broader plan in the spatial composition. They are props, 
playing in the dramas staged by the light. Usually their structure consists of bones, peeling off skin or drapery. Occasionally, they are constructed from a load of refuse. They perform their silent role with no individual traits, with no references to portraiture. In all of Bixinski's work, the human figure is in fact a phantom. The human being appears as a weird mannequin, a dummy whose gestures or poses express suffering or loneliness, but so far removed from a real body that it's incapable of reflecting its physical torments. Even in Bixinski's erotic nudes, what we have is more of a screaming spiritual aspect of performance rather than its physicality. Many observers interpret his tormented and deformed figures as corpses or ghosts. In his fantastic period, sometimes they do indeed play such a role, but most often teasingly, on the principle of persiflage. They irritate and provoke you, conjuring up a shabby vampire show. Bixinski's contrariness has seldom been deciphered by his recipients in the way he would have wanted it to be read. His willful representations have been interpreted counter to his intention, as entailing cheap pseudo-literary art games. At the end of his artistic journey, Bixinski lost interest in the realm of fantastic spaces, architecture, and people of the early 80s, which observers found so absorbing. Although he painted a few more fantasy pictures for his art dealer, Pyotr Dmokovsky, he now found himself in a completely new period. He abandoned the spectacular features of his previous style and focused on a relatively modest and simple arrangement of the human figure, sometimes a few figures, sometimes just a human head. In the commentaries he made in the last years of his life, he liked to say that actually what he was painting were variations on the same motifs. He started applying finishing touches in the fantastic period in order to photograph his dreams in painting. The brush and paint were a surrogate camera, for a real camera could not reach down into the layers of his imagination and subconscious. The paintings he was making at the time were ideally to have a surface resembling the surface texture of a photo. In his last period, this was changing, but he could no longer cope with the problem. Bixinski's final artistic output includes computer photo montage and computer modified drawings. His interest in computers began in 1986 with Casio mini computers. And since then, he was buying every new product entering the IT market. In Poland of that time, he had the most modern equipment, and his knowledge was comparable to the expertise of qualified IT specialists. Initially, he intended to use Apple Macintosh Classic for his art, its simplest version, with a 40 megabyte hard disk. But two days later, in the same shop, he saw the Quadra, the most powerful Macintosh at the time, with Photoshop 2 installed. He realized that with it, he could cut a piece of graphics and move it about. And it occurred to him that effectively, it was the same as a photographic darkroom. 
working with Photoshop, offered him a chance to put his photographic ideas into practice. Editing photos into new entities, he returned to his work from the fantastic period, but he also searched for new visual potential. He concentrated on landscape motifs, usually transforming them into metaphysical motifs, and on figures, faces, and anatomical details. This type of photomontage, or photographic collage, was undoubtedly a supplement to his inner creative needs. For in his painting, he had moved away from such presentations much earlier. But compared with painting, it inevitably looks modest. Here the substance is not brush and paint, but the photograph. Despite the far-reaching deformation, in computer photo montage, the final appearance is still a photographically objective form. So it may be considered, not in terms of a modern type of painting or graphics, but as photography in the strict sense of the word. Fortunately, computer-transformed photography was not his only mode of expression using digital techniques. He returned to classic art, using a tablet for drawing and a computer to transform the outcome. In comparison with traditional drawings, the computer allowed him to return to his starting point and take an entirely new path. Perhaps these last works are the ones in which we shall observe his least need to search for artistic solutions, along the extremely broad potential that the computer offers. Bixinski discovered another function of the computer as an artist's tool in the freedom it granted him to endow the things he wanted to represent with a form of his choosing, which, thanks to the graphic software, he could transform, deform, replicate, invert in a mirror reflection at will, without the need to start from scratch each time. He kept most of these works black and white, embarking on a dialogue with the classical graphic techniques. He was extremely wary of putting in color, not sure whether it would give him the right effect. He gradually evolved to the point where he started to apply color in the same mode as in his drawings, in colored crayons and occasionally with watercolors. Perhaps his late computer art was leading toward new artistic discoveries for Bixinski, the painter. We will never know. The brutal termination of his life left us with many unresolved dilemmas to which he was searching for the answers. This episode, which is part of a five-part podcast series, was produced and edited by Cezary Lersky and Diginet. The text is based on Vyaslav Banach's essay, Used with Permission, from the Historical Museum in Sanok, Poland, and Bosch Publishing House. Text read by Phil Shane. All music was composed and edited by Andrea Centazzo. All rights reserved. For more, please visit www.beksinski.gallery. Albums with Beksinski's art and reproductions of his paintings are also available at Amazon.com.